This is the 18th season of Bass Talk Live. With your host, Matt Pangrad. BTL is brought to you by Lorance, Bass Cat Boats, AFCO, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, and Pro Guide Batteries. BTL, coming at ya! Good morning and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we are going to talk about bass fishing. Got a good show for you today. Pete Robbins, he came on in March last time and told stories. Probably one of the top three most eclectic, I believe is a word that I would use to describe. It's not like an intriguing, interesting, eccentric. One of the most eccentric, eccentric. He's a lawyer. He would know the difference between eclectic and eccentric. Men in uh, that, that lives in the realm of uh, the bass fishing industry, writes for all sorts of publications, Meat Eater, uh, uh, Yamamoto's the uh, the inside line uh, Bassmaster the dot com has been around has seen everything really enjoyed some of the stories and some of the uh, tales that he told during his first appearance on BTL back in March and wanted to kind of make him a regular quarterly guest on uh, BTL uh, for the duration of the year and hopefully going forward if he's willing to it so uh, we will bring uh, Pete in Mr. Robbins thank you for taking time to jump on BTL this morning I know we're working on a little bit of a, a, a time crunch with your your day job yeah so I managed to get off for an hour of vacation this morning but I do need to be on a call a little bit later but I do want to say that I really appreciate you calling me both eclectic and eccentric what's um, the difference between the two I think eclectic means more varied, like you're kind of all over the map. And eccentric means you're just freaking weird. But but after yesterday's guest, where you had a guest on who put a bobcat in his live well, I was feeling like I was the most boring person on earth. And that built me back up a little bit. Listen, I've had Jamie on a couple times before. And like when you get him dialed into some of his stories, I mean, he grew up with like fox and deer. And like you said, he got bit by a, a raccoon and you look at him and you wouldn't see that. But I was more intrigued about the fact that he was like scared of ghosts in the houses that he stayed at. I mean, dead, dead set. He stayed at two haunted houses this year. He said, I'm not a psychiatrist, um, but I think everyone has to be afraid of something. And if you're not afraid of snakes and you're not afraid of bobcats, you just have to make something up to be afraid of. Yeah. Are you, do you ever get the, are you a heebie jeebies guy? Like, do you ever get the weird feelings and I got to get out of here? No, no. Like you've I mean, never I, stayed in all your travels. You've never stayed at a house where you were like, yeah, I'm not writing in this thing alone. I've stayed in places. I once stayed in a hotel by the Memphis airport where I literally barricaded the door because I was pretty sure I was going to get killed in the night. But like, that's a fear of crime as a <laughs> going to skip. Like you go to enough boat ramps at four or five in the morning. At some point, you're going to run into some crazy stuff. But I'm not afraid of like ghosts or the supernatural. I don't think maybe I'm not smart enough to be afraid of those. I got you. Um, I want to cover a variety uh, of topics today. Covered a primarily one one topic uh, 
yesterday with varied response, but that's what I love about the the bass fishing community. And I guess it's any I guess it would be a, it would be any sport, but something that generates passion based on an opinion. And I think that there's something cool about that that you can get that fired up over something cuz let's face it like to be to be truly passionate about something is kind of a gift, isn't it? That you have passion over a topic, over an issue, over something. It's a feeling that there's a lot of people who go through life without feeling. So that you have found something that's passionate that you feel the need either in support or to be against about. I think that's a good thing, don't you, Pete? I absolutely do. Um, no one in my family likes to fish, but everyone has a diverse set of passions. And that's the thing that I think I got from my parents was find out what matters to you, no matter how eccentric or eclectic it may be and pursue it to the hilt. Like I, I heard on Howard Stern recently, an interview with the red hot chili peppers. And he was asking them at what point did you know you were a great musician? And, and I forget which one of them it was said, it wasn't that I knew I was great or better than anyone else, but I knew that if I didn't pursue this to the hilt, it was like a live or die moment. Like I had to do this. And, and I think you probably feel that way about bass fishing. However, you came into it. Like it's important to you. It's your life. It doesn't matter that a fraction of the world even knows what it is. This is what this is where you find your bliss, and that's important to have. It, it is. Uh, <clears throat> I said, would you say your your two your three primary writing gigs now inside line meat eater and and bassmaster? Um, well, I, I would add to those outdoor life. I'm doing a lot of work for and. My true passion play is my wife and I have our website, Half Past First Cast. Which right, we talked basi- about that. Didn't you basic- just go on a major trip? I haven't been anywhere in two months. We're going to Lake of the Woods next week, though. So we, we, we're kind of building up our travel chops in anticipation of retirement. But, I mean, that to your point about Bliss, that's a website that literally pays me nothing. I produce four pieces a week for it. And, like, I can't wait to finish. Not, not that I want to rush through my paying work, but I can't wait to finish that so I can write about some oddball trip to Africa or Namibia or Russia or the Seychelles or wherever that I want to take because that really gets me jazzed. R- really cool stuff over there. What's the website again for people? It's www.halfpastfirstcast.com. Oh, wow. That's a fancy hat. Yeah, we have trip-specific hats. This is our tuna hat for Panama. Oh, you make a hat for each trip. That's what we're doing now with some some of the little bit of revenue that's coming into the site is rather than you know, spend it on stuff we don't need or fancy dinners or whatever. We're going to, people who go with us are going to get sort of souvenirs, whether it's a tuna hat or a largemouth hat for Mexico. Hannah, we're going to this swim bait gathering next month, which is all the sort of low key or low volume swim bait manufacturers. And Hannah has a swim bait hat ready for that. Just kind of brand everything a little bit differently. Well, we'll just go straight there because you hadn't mentioned that. And I definitely wanted to talk about that today. That's like a that's like Comic-Con for swim baiters. Uh, someone told me it's the iCast of swim baits, but I don't know if it's Comic-Con or iCast or Woodstock or or the <laughs> gathering of the Juggalos from the Insane Clown Posse. It's like you, you look at these people and they're there spending like five, six hundred dollars on a bait. And none of them, I don't mean to put them down, but like it, it's truly eclectic. You want to talk about eclectic? It's dudes with, you know, tear tattoos running down their faces it's they found biker their passion, gangs. Though. It's they found their passion and they found their community, people they wouldn't otherwise know, who like all have this common bond, and that's what they bond over is and like you said, it's passion. They're arguing, well, this Piz glide bait is not as good as this elude rat. And 
the the whole swim bait game is fascinating to me. I, I've been going through my swim bait collection. I probably caught like 20 true swim bait fish in my life. So I'm certainly not an expert, but I have a ton of them. And, and here's the cool thing about it. Everything from the chatterbait to forward-facing sonar is pro-driven, right? The pros get forward-facing sonar and then it trickles down. Everyone down the line from the BFL guy to the weekend guy to whatever decides he needs it. This is the opposite, I think. Like the swim bait world, you have these guys making really cool baits in their garage and it trickles up to Chris Saldane and Steve Kennedy and Carl Jockamson. Dude, that's a great point. Yeah, it, it's and, and it's passion. It's I don't think guys are doing it for the money, but they're going out and slinging this big bait all day for the chance at one bite of a lifetime, knowing that you're going to fail more often than you succeed. And like there's buy-in from the pros. And we've seen a little of that. We've seen Zeldane obviously have some success. Livesey have some success. But I don't think the average guy is ever going to spend $200 on a bait, even if they might spend $2,000 on forward-facing. Oh, uh, I, th- I think you're starting to see that. With the yeah. Chad Shads and the Phony for All, I think you're starting to see that as there's more and more. I think you, you're at least me and the tournament guys. I, I used to be so. I remember the very first Roman made negotiator I ever got. It was because I was on location at uh, uh, Table Rock and Brandon Polinick. It was like 2013, I want to say, had this box with these things in it. And he's like, Dio, these are the real deal. He's like, these, This is unbelievable. And I, I got one. And for that, like no one had knew about it for years, but then it started getting on the local and regional level. I think guys are starting to are starting to invest in that now more like, so. Like you me, said, though, because it starts from the bottom and works to the top point. instead of the trickle down effect. Like, tell me if you were me, what would you bring to the show? Like knowing like last year, I think it opened at nine o'clock and people started lining up at three o'clock in the morning to get in and make a mad rush for these hype baits. Like, I think I'm going to bring a thousand dollars. And and like that may get me 10 baits. It may get me six baits. It may end up 800 of it may end up coming home because I don't see anything I want. But like, see, I don't know, because I'm one of those guys that's working my way up. Right. In the swim bait game. Right. So I'm looking at it from a uh, practicality standpoint. So I'm looking for baits that are are tournament applicable that might sit there for a year, year and a half. But then when it's all conditions are firing, I pick it up. I'm not looking at it for the joy of going out uh, like an Oliver Nye or something, uh, a joy of going out and trying to target one fish. So like, it just depends on what your goals are, what your hopes and dreams are when it comes to the swim baiting, Pete, like, do you want to be able to win the club derby on the Potomac with one? Or do you want to have one that everyone goes, yeah, but you see what Pete has? <laughs> no, <laughs> like I'm not in it for the envy factor. Like I want to be the guy. I don't want to be the guy who goes out and throws it all day. I know I'm too impatient for that. I need to have a Ned Rig or a Senko ready to go. But like I want to be the guy who when that window opens up, I know that I have the right bait and I'm ready to throw it. And I'm ready to lose a $200 bait in a brush pile because I think it gives me the best chance to have the day of a lifetime. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, dude, it's a, it's a, it's a very subjective you know, they're the shad glides. Like, I mean, for so for me, like the the Chad shads, obviously, with and Spro's doing like a collab with them, but I'm not sure when that's going to be ready. But like the the OG Chad shads and the HPHs and the, but I mean, they're they're like unicorns, right? Yeah, I mean, as, as far as hard to get, like it's like, it's an interesting way to even get them, like with drops and maxes that you can buy, and then sometimes they go to dealers, sometimes they go to shops. 
you flip them and that yeah it's it's crazy the different ways that guys came about these baits they have trades you know all about yeah, it all this yeah. stuff it's, goes it's, on it's, at this show it's it, i can't wait to go there and see what it's all about but you're right it's almost more like sneaker culture than lure yeah. collecting culture and, and, it's like and, it's like your yeezys dropped today so we got to get in baseball cards like yeah special, baseball cards special sneakers, swim baits you're right pete that's a great point yeah and i like that i mean i i was a geek i collected baseball cards as a kid and like i had you know boxes and boxes and binders of this stuff which i assume my mom threw them out at some point but like i have a ton of swim baits i have a roman made here on the shelf i have the drt teeth tiny clash here and like they're 150 bucks a piece and i've been afraid to throw them which is ridiculous because the point is not to display them the point like you said is to get bit yeah but for some it's to display it just like some of the sneaker heads want to wear them and other ones are like dude these are the sneakers going in a case i'm never gonna i'm never gonna put this on pavement i mean you can see i have looking around my office i have enough like fishing related paraphernalia and stuff i don't need to display more stuff i need to get a, I, I clearly as a writer need to get out and catch more fish yeah it's interesting. It's whatever whatever floats your boat when it comes to that. So how many people will be at the is this like an underground deal or are they like promoting it? They they're promoting it pretty hard. It's been on Bass Band and Wired to Fish. They said last year I think they had twenty five dealers and like five hundred attendees. Huh. I got great audio with you. Your your video froze. Yeah, my so computer just crapped out. Your this computer. is what happens like when you're eclectic, you don't take care of your yeah. tech stuff. That's fine. Uh, let's take our first break of the day. Uh, we're talking with uh, Pete Robbins, uh, outdoor writer, and we get back. I want to get your take. You write for a bunch of different publications, Pete, some of which are deep in the tournament world, some of which have nothing to do with the tournament world. And I want to get your take on what percentage of the bass fishing world actually is is watching listening hardcore elite series bpt fans watching every moment of what's going on with that as opposed to just want to go out and catch a fish fair topic okay. i'll be back and i will have video right. then one way or the other all right it is btl on a tuesday august 23rd with outdoor writer pete robbins we'll be back right after this. your key to better fishing this season is elite fs now available at a new lower price get elite fs9 today for 9.99 and we'll throw in a C-Map reveal chart, our premium mapping solution for free. Elite FS works with all state-of-the-art Lorenz sonar, from chirp, side scan, and downscan imaging with fish reveal to high-resolution active target live sonar. Elite FS9 and C-Map reveal. Offer ends August 31st. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up. With the angler, design, function, and performance in mind, nothing on this new offering was compromised, and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96-inch wide-body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry-leading design coupled with tournament-winning performance. The Puma STS from BassCat. Feel the rush. We're just about ready to go, ladies and gentlemen. Get in order. Once again, Drew Cook is in the driver's seat. When you're catching fish for a living, you can't let a little cold, rain, heat, humidity, or anything else get in the way of a payday. 
our AFCO. Any fish, any water. The KVD 100 Jerkbait. 15 different colors. A perfect combination of roll, wiggle, and flash. Increased castability. 3D eyes. Premium black nickel hooks. KVD. Tie one on. Striking lures. Are you looking to install your own fishing electronics? Well, the Bass Tank is here to help you. The solution is the Bass Tank Power Harness. It takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Elite Series Pro Daryl Gleason here. My Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. Welcome back, BTL. On a Tuesday, talking with Pete Robbins, who's the fastest man to restart his computer in history. We got you? I'm so glad it restarted. I normally no, it's good. It's perfect timing. We had to take a commercial break. The last couple of days, I've gotten fired up, and I've forgotten to take the commercial break, so that actually was a was a great reminder to get that in there, Pete. So Good. We'll keep the lights on. So the, the gathering, the swim bait gathering, where did you say it was again? It's in Lenexa, Virginia, which is... If you know the Chickahominy River, which you certainly That's, do from fishing the James, it's yeah. the Rockahawk Campground, which is right up at the dam at the top of the Chickahominy River. So it's literally River. where Brandon Polinick won on a swim bait, the Bassmaster yep. Open, two years ago. Yep, you'll be able from I assume from the tent where they're having this gathering, be able to see you, it. You will be able to see where he was throwing that big swim bait, you which know, is kind of fitting. What's interesting, and and I'm sure there's people that are listening that know the history Ooh. of this swim baits better, but I remember uh, obviously the. Uh, West Coast stuff, and then the Southern Trout Eaters uh, yeah. DVDs that that came out. Um, but that East Coast, when you go up and and I talk to people, like you don't think of that East Coast, like around, like you said, that James River area. But there's a lot of big bait guys that are in that neck of the woods. Very surprising amount. Like it, yeah, it, it plays a lot more than people think. I never knew that either. In fact, the guys who run this universe, one of them is from Pennsylvania and one of them is from Massachusetts, I think. So like, it's a big deal in the Northeast. They're having another one of these at Lake Fork in April, but I think people are into it. People are into it because they catch fish under the right circumstances. And also because it's a cultural thing. 
Yeah, we just got some of the. Uh, I just got some of the uh, Chad Shads with my buddy too, and he was like, "What do I need?" And I was like, "Just, just pay the money and find." Them. I said, "Hey, they have them at this website," and he got them. So I was over at his house. It was like eleven o'clock, a couple nights ago. It was his birthday, right? And he's like, "Dude, my neighbors aren't home, and they have a pool." And I was <laughs> like, "Really?" I said, "You know where the lights are for the pool?" He's like, "No, but I've got this giant halogen like hand light, right?" So we were out there, like, in their backyard, in their pool, like, looking at these things in the water. And he was just like, dude, I'm taking the day off. I'm going fishing with this thing <laughs> the next day. But we're out, broke into the neighbor's yard, and we're fishing the Chad Shad in their pool at 11 o'clock at night. So what do you think the deal is? So they have this Chad Shad. It costs, like, 200 bucks, right? And it's made out of resin. Now they yeah. say that the new one is coming out from Spro. It's going to be, like, 60 bucks made out of plastic. Mm-hmm. I don't know which one is going to be more or less effective. I don't know if it's like a wiggle wart type thing, but like if you're a hardcore swim baiter, if you just care about bites, then you assuming it costs less then they've sort of cut their knees out from under them. You know, you're going to go buy the $60 one instead of the $200 one. But are there people you think who are into that whole purity thing? Like I want the original one. I want yeah, the one absolutely. that, that came 100%. from. 100%. I think there's two there's two markets for that. And I think that Spro really kind of stuck their neck out on this, and I give them credit for it because it was such an, a niche bait uh, that had a small following and a little bit of a cult following. It wasn't like it was a worldwide phenomenon that they were like, hey, we need to make money on. They, like, took a chance on this, right? Because the thing that's hardest to do is to take a hand, hand-tuned bait that is made individually by one guy and tested and then try to standardize that bait with as much as there is internal weighting and whatnot. It's almost, it's, it's, it's a big risk because in that swim bait culture, if there is one tail hair or a 128th of an ounce out of balance or the glide isn't as pure as it is on the original, I mean, dude, you get massacred for it, right? Yeah. So I, that's I, a, a big risk that they're taking. And I know they're spending, like I said, I run Spro ads on this show too. And I've asked about it behind the scenes and I've been super excited about it. But I know that that is something that's been in the works for a long time is making sure that it is right before they go to the general public with it. I'll give Spro a lot of credit in this world too. Like the bait that was my gateway into this big bait world was that Spro rat, the 50 size rat. Yeah. And I've had some just epic sessions in Mexico with El Salto on that rat. And when they eat it, they just absolutely destroy it. And it's the most exciting way to fish that there is. And when they were at retail, they were like 25 or 30 bucks. And I know there are rats out there that are two, three, four hundred dollars And it's going to be, I'm going to buy another rat clearly at this show. There's no question in my mind about it. But at the same time, like I know the Spro rat works and I have a stash of them. So uh, they've kind of bridged that gap. They've gained legitimacy in that big bait world, which is pretty hard to do. You can't just slap your name on a big bait and make it happen. Definitely. Uh, all right. Let's switch gears here. And I want to go to a couple of your most recent uh, articles that you penned on uh, on the inside line, which is actually just baits.com. Best website ever. It's like getting diapers.com or cars.com or one of those. It is, and and I think the last time we had talked that that Yamamoto had just kind of changed hands as far as the ownership went, and it was like, hey, are you still going to be doing the inside line stuff? Uh, so here we are half a year later, and you're still penning pertinent articles. So uh, congratulations on that. 
Thank you. I haven't taken any major risks there yet, but they haven't told me anything I can't write yet. So I'm pretty thrilled that that has not changed. Is there stuff that you won't that you won't tackle as a writer, or is I mean, it seems like for you, like you're not afraid to to kind of tackle any anything is fair game for you. I mean, the good reason. the good news about having another job is that if I never write another article, I'm still going to be able to pay my mortgage and and put macaroni and cheese on the table. But I mean, you know, it's a very insular industry. Everyone is related to someone else, to everyone else in some way. And you can't really take a stand. And and as you found out, people, oftentimes the people who have the, the least skin in the game have the strongest opinions and are willing to throw you under the bus for taking an opinion, which right. is, is kind of I, the example I always use is 2010 classic at Lay Lake. Jeff Crete, you know, hadn't won and he was in contention to win the tournament and he mentioned very openly about working with a sports psychologist and both days, first day and second day press conference. Like I've been working with this. This has helped me mentally. I'm getting better. And when Van Dam won on the third day, I asked a question about, you know, what does this do to you mentally? You've been open about working with a sports psychologist and literally everyone in the media room, like jaws, it was like the scene in the animal house where they walk into the Dexter Lake club and the music stops and everyone stares at them. Uh, <laughs> like, People thought it was the most outrageous question and in any other sport. I thought it was an entirely reasonable question. Um, you know, whether it's wearing underwear on your boat or it's uh, allegations of cheating or whether it should forward facing sonar be allowed. There's room for divergent opinions and respectful dialogue about that. And for some reason, we don't seem to have it. I got gotcha. you. Uh, uh I agree. So, so one of the things that you talked about in your August 5th, uh, column on there, which I, Apple, I mean, you had a great, it just said cheater was the top was the title of it. And, and, uh, I mean, we've, we've had a major, <clears throat> major incident with that, with the press release that came out, uh, from, uh, major league fishing about what happened at the first, uh, BPT of the season. It was down there in Louisiana with, I think it was Jeff Sprague who had a top five finish and they penalized him. His, it was found that he had, he had received information during the off limits and supposedly there was proof. Anyway, they penalized him. It came out. He had a statement end of story. Have not heard anything else from Jeff. And a lot of people are saying, Hey, how can you talk about Matt and his whitey tidies and not talk about the Jeff Sprague incidents? It's because one is objective and one is subjective. That was just my opinion on Matt Robertson. I tried to do it as, as professionally as I, as I could, but on the, on the Sprague stuff, that's objective, right? So like anything, I don't know any of the other details behind the scenes. I reached out to, to Jeff to try to talk to him about it uh, to see. So then I would have firsthand account to be able did not return my text. Understandably, his right to do so. Just like when I reached out to you, you could not return my text to be on BTL. It's everyone's individual right. That's why we have an ignore button on our phone. But when it comes to that, all you have are the facts, right? So the facts would be, here's a press release. Here's the results. Here's how it impacted the tournament. I really, outside of hearsay, second and third hand information, can't really say anything else about that issue. Right? Yeah, I think it would be irresponsible of you to do so, to say he clearly cheated, he clearly did this, or he clearly didn't cheat. You have a very limited window into what actually happened. You know, the facts as presented to us seem pretty clear. And cheating is a very loaded word here. I mean, I think right. when, when an offensive lineman goes you know, offsides, no one says he cheated. He committed a penalty. So as I said in the article, there are kind of different categories there. There are, there's penalties, there's cheating, and there's a lot of real estate in between those two. 
that's what I wanted to talk to you about is the, the gray area. Are there, is there any other competitive activity slash professional sport and where there is so much gray area when it comes to rules interpretation or is fishing on an island when it comes to that? And why do you think there is so much gray area? Why do we not just have black and white rules that are not open for interpretation? I think, first of all, because it's impossible to legislate and regulate everything in this sport. There's there's so many different factors involved and the technology is changing so quickly. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but is the technology in baseball changing quickly? I mean, maybe the ball changes a little or different materials are available for bats. Yeah, they've had but, some thing about like whether the pit the ball change and then whether the pitchers can have like what they can have to get a grip on it and then like earpieces and the electronic deal that went on and then like the deal with the Astros and the cameras in the outfield. So yeah, there's a little bit, but it's pretty much remained the same for a hundred years. I mean, I'm not an expert on other sports. I'm not an expert on fishing either. But you look at the baseball rule book, whenever they cite to something, you know, like rule 6b3 little i2 x and it's always like exactly on point as to where the pants need to be at the end of his leg like you can say it's over legislating but at least it's black and white then and even then they still have debates you know did this guy get the appropriate lead off third was this a balk or not i mean you still you go to a game anytime a pitcher moves off the mound everyone assumes it's a balk and starts screaming it's a balk and 98 percent of the time it's not called for one reason or another so I think what the fans think they know, what the anglers think they know, and what the leagues actually want to memorialize in rules and then have be the spirit of the rules are four very different things. Yeah. I don't know. So man. where does where does the gray area stand in fishing, in your opinion? You talked about it a lot in this in this article, and it's a very thought-provoking article on it, but I mean, is that why it's impossible to get a black or white deal? Because there is so much gray area? I don't know. They have those umbrella sections, you know, the sportsmanship rule or sporting manner of catching fish. Those are gray, but they leave a lot of interpretation up to the tournament director. And I don't know Lisa or Chris Bowes, and I don't even know who the tournament director at BPT is. Who is it? Um, I I know they have a, a committee. But I to think a tournament committee that also decides on stuff. But yeah, their tournament directors changed a number of times over the last couple of years, I believe. I mean, and that's to my point that when you have a change in tournament director, even if that person is by the book and an authoritarian and gets the whole picture and has the respect of the anglers, I still think the anglers are going to test them. I mean, if you're competitive and you're sort of an alpha male type A personality, you're going to get whatever advantage you can get. And argue your way out of it if you can. I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of asking for forgiveness instead of permission. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Do you feel like you look at this differently because of your background as a lawyer? Um, I think when I look at a document and I see ambiguity, it bothers me, but I, I also think fishing on the whole operates in a really ambiguous place. Like we want to be a big time sport, but mm-hmm. we want to retain sort of the indicators of being a down-home sport. I mean, I think it's valuable that you can still go to a weigh-in and talk to the professional anglers and get up close to them. You can see them on the water. You can't get on the football field during an NFL game or a college game. I think there's value in keeping it small, but as the money grows, some of that goes away. And 
we, we've tried to keep it gentlemanly, but I think it's important that you have a document that covers any possible situations to the extent that you can. I mean, I would, I, I would encourage the circuits to take their rules either to a group of lawyers, and it's going to be tough to find a group of lawyers who really know about the game, or to take them to experts from other sports and use those as models to find a better rule book. Is there one rule that just drives you nuts in pro fishing that you don't understand? Um, not that I don't understand, but the information rules, they don't drive me crazy. I don't care which way they go. I don't really have a dog in that hunt, but I feel like it's the rule that's most subject to people getting pissed off. Because if you have, you know, a free for all, people are going to be upset. And if you have no information, people are going to be upset. And if you sp- try to split the baby, people are going to work to their advantage to try to find those gray areas. So no matter what you do, you're never going to reach a perfect rule. There's no way to have rules without gray areas. I mean, it's kind of what you're saying. Like there will always be gray areas. Yeah. There's always going to be subject to interpretation. There's always going to be people who try to push the limits. We can expect that. I mean, we Bill Belichick made a career out of that, right? One of the stories I always heard about fishing was that they said half the rules in the bass rule book were because of Roland. Because, you know, he would fly over a place or he would put minnows in a bucket or he would build a casting deck on his boat. If you're not trying to get an advantage in some way, you're going to get left behind in any sport, any competitive endeavor. So the question is, when you're doing it outside of the spirit of the rules and the spirit of fair competition, that's when it becomes a problem. You've covered this game for a long time, Pete. Do you think you can make it to the top level and have success without being inherently uber competitive? No. Pardon my French, but I once wrote a column about you kind of have to be a dick to be really good at this. And And there are plenty of nice guys out there. But when you're on the water, you have to not care about anyone else. You can play by the rules, but you have to be willing to do whatever it takes to win. I mean... I like Denny Brower. I like Kevin Van Dam. I know that they can be ruthless on the water and they should be. That's why they're so good at what they do. Do you think there should be a separation between what happens on the water and their personality off the water, a la an NHL instigator or a fighter or something like that, who's often beloved off the water in the locker room and by the fans, but completely hated on the ice, off the ice, but completely hated on the ice? I was thinking the opposite way, and this may show up my media credentials that there are a lot of guys who are loved by the fans who I think are nearly impossible to work with. I mean, I'm sure you've had that too. guys who either won't be on the show or criticize stuff that you say. Um, I just, I got one right now that that's not a huge fan of the show, but that's about it. You know, I have anglers who don't like me publicly, which I give them credit for. Yeah. I mean, if, if people want to give up their media coverage, that's entirely their prerogative. There's some some do it well. Steve Kennedy doesn't really seem to care about media coverage, and he does fine. And there are other guys who push away, and I think it hurts their careers eventually. Do you feel like a I, – I feel like you can have success with uh, in bass fishing without being uber, uber, uber competitive, though. But maybe you can't reach that top, top tier. I, I... – I is that in any sport? Do you have to? I mean, I remember Polinick wrote that that column where he said, like, hey, to do this, you have to be selfish. Yeah, but selfish, selfish and being a jerk are two different things. I right. Think. I mean, you know, Polinick, I mean, he may be the exception that proves the rule, but he's about the nicest guy there is. And he's genuine. I mean, you deal with Polinick, you get no sense that there's any falseness there. You get no sense that he's putting on airs. You get no sense that he's going back and cursing you behind your back. Right. Um. 
but I have no doubt that he will do whatever it takes to be great. And maybe that's what I meant by being a jerk is that, you know, he will put everything else second for a period of time to try to go out there and make himself the best angler who's ever lived. Do you not think that over the last couple of years, though, we've seen more and more guys that are sharing? Like, look at this Oahe example, right? Like, boat, 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 everyone having a jolly good time catching fish, possibly giving up a chance to to win because they're letting other guys, their buddies, come in and kind of split the fish so there's a community of checks instead of one guy monopolizing the school and saying, get out of my playground. Yeah, I don't know. You know, there have always been guys like Jeff Coble and Smiley Wright in the Carolinas who split stuff. Obviously, the Johnstons split stuff. I think you can't. You have to split stuff if your name is Smiley, Pete. You can't, <laughs> you can't come in and out. You're obligated to. Uh, I think a lot of people owe Lee Livesey this week. Uh, clearly, he turned a lot of people onto that Carolina rig deal, people who ended up finishing better than he did. Um, the sharing information thing is weird. I mean, you know. Uh, are there other sports where they do that, where you share with someone who's competing directly against you? I imagine your racing team in NASCAR, yeah. if you're on yeah. a team like that, I, I would imagine in the PGA, if you're playing practice rounds with someone and and a, and you know you're with your buddy and you're like, hey, look what this ball does from this part of the green. You know, the the, the, the group I can think of is the pro cycling world, which again I don't know much about, but like there are guys on whatever team it is, the only person I can think of whoever did that was Lance Armstrong, who like their job is basically to lose. Their job is to show up and set the pace for Lance, set the pace and protect him. Um, You know, I think of like Andy Montgomery and Atifo a few years ago, it was an Escanaba tournament where one of them was just outside the classic cut and the other one helped him get on the fish to make the cut to his own detriment and not against the rules, not, necessarily against the spirit of the rules and there are guys who you know want to do everything on their own and complain about it and and maybe that's the right answer is you shouldn't be able to share information with another competitor on the other hand i think we tried that and i think that's a nightmare yeah that's an absolute night it's kind of like the no information rule is a nightmare when you show up at a gas station and someone starts telling you not to throw a june bug lizard um but as long as it's allowed if if you're the guy who's doing everything on your own and you're suffering, maybe the answer is to go out there and build a network. Yeah. I don't know. For a really simple sport that's supposed to be about fun, it's complicated, man. How much of this is, how much of this is, has been going on since the very first open that race God ever hold. And now it's just like everything else where social media makes it so accessible to where more people know about it just because there's 75 more channels and, re- and, and, and paths to talk about it, to find out about it, to look at it, to get upset about it. I mean, back in the day, wasn't it just Bass Times, Bassmaster, and the TNT TV show? And if it <laughs> and wasn't got- that, it was a local newspaper writing a column on it, and that was literally it. And you got the information a month later. I mean, the immediacy yeah. of it is a big deal. We And you kind of think about it, we had it in three stages. We had that stage when everything was a month out. We had the stage when you would sort of maybe learn about George Cochran not throwing the jerk bait that he said he was throwing. And then you have the stage now where you're watching everything play out in real time. It it's, it's changes the dynamic. And obviously, as you said, we have social media. We have Bass Talk Live. We have other podcasts out there talking about it people need content and you don't get viewers as you know by taking a sort of wishy-washy vanilla stance yeah that's but, but it's it, it's kind of like the deal with the opens you know that 
I know you've probably beaten this topic to death of the, should you have to fish the nine opens or should it be one division? But the people who seem most exercised about it were the people who are likely never to fish an open in their life. And, yeah. and that's just weird to me. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm a guy who's never going to fish a professional tournament again in my life, but, and I'm obsessed with this, but at the same time, like, if they have a no information rule, great. If they have full information, great. It doesn't matter to me. I mean, I have opinions, but but at the end of the day, I'm going to sleep well either way. You know, I I was you know I'm 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 for the nine the nine. I think it 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 gets. But you look at the last couple of years with the chaos that's been, and I, I think that's kind of want to close it with your next article that you pinned on the twelfth called Head to Head. But you look at the last couple of years with the three and the anglers that have decided to fish and come back over, and it's like yeah. The three also works, though, because the 0.5 percenters, talent-wise, ability-wise, the guys who have dominated and have angler or have trophies over their heads, the Hackneys, Jason Christie's, Peroznik, Ike, even though he could have come back for Legends, went through the uh, Northern Divisions. Like, you look at the Scott Martins, you look at those guys, and they're like one or two years and done. And they're finishing in the top three, and they're qualifying through the overall in the top three. I think you just get a deeper field through the nine. I think your elite anglers still qualify, but I think you get a deeper field through the nine. The guys that are going to be the meat and potatoes and maybe have a chance to win every couple years and make a, make a few classics, but make a career out of it. I, I think I've come around. I think nine is better. I think when you have three and you have three on, you know, Louisville, Washita River, and... Arkansas River, there's a chance for someone to sneak in who has a regional advantage who won't be a great competitor at the elite series level. I think yeah. there's less of a chance of that when you fish all nine. And the talent level is so high right now that if you're going to make it to the elites and have a chance of being, I mean, look at the guys, look at the bottom of the AOI standings this year, the bottom half. You've got Hank Cherry, you've got Ike, you've got Keith Combs, you've got John Cruz. Like if you had made those guys your fantasy team at the beginning of the year, you would have had a re- you would have thought you had a reasonable shot of taking the title, and they've all been struggling for one reason or another. I mean, the competition level is insane. Most of the guys in the top ten in the AOI race, you didn't know who they were five years ago. So, I, I've always had this theory about the opens that, I mean, you may disagree, but if you're a guy who fishes the opens for years and years and years and years and never makes it, and then you finally make it. Very rarely do those guys do well at the elite series level. And the one example I can think of this year is Kenta Kimura, who's on an absolute tear. And I don't know why that's not getting more attention. He's He has four straight top 20s at the elites. He's leading the Northern Opens. He's in fourth in the overall Opens. And he was a guy who was a decent fisherman, but not a great fisherman for a long time. And something has clicked in him this year. Yeah, that is a great point. And here's the thing. If you follow his uh, Instagram and his social media and what the the bass galleries, he's doing it, doing weird stuff, Pete. Yeah, at the James, not, not throwing a big stuff, swim bait. Not and... weird for him, non-traditional tournament baits. Yeah, he that TK Clash, which is that one of those hard-to-get glide baits, he threw that at the James. He stayed close at the James, within five miles of the ramp the whole time. Um, threw that old squeaky dolphin buzz bait that you can't get anymore. One of those rare wiggle wart type baits. Um, He's doing cool stuff. He's at at risk of putting too fine a point on. He's the least Japanese of the four Japanese anglers on tour now because he spent so much time in the U S going to college here Mm -hmm. 
fishing FLW, fishing as a co-angler, things like that. So, but he still has a distinctive style, I think, and it's more oriented towards power fishing. Yeah, that's interesting. He's uh, the other, uh, well, obviously Takahiro's a power fisherman on that, but as far as Japanese anglers, uh, and I really miss this guy, is Marizo. Everyone yeah. kind of put him into that that finesse fishing box, but dude, that guy was straight power. He loved to jack him. Yeah, and Marizo, he was kind of the the pre-runner or forerunner of Taku Ito, like someone who was always happy, someone who was fun to watch. I don't know that his, I mean, he had some highlights in his career, the big mama highlights and all of that, but I don't think he was as good over time as Taku is almost immediately, but he was a fun guy who I think a lot of us miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like I said, in this latest, latest article, head to head, and we got just a couple minutes, and I just want to sure. get your thoughts on these two guys. Uh, it seems like there's a, an angler both tours, the BPT and the Bassmaster Lead Series, kind of head and shoulders above. They're they're very comparable just as far as as age, professionalism, YouTube presence, and Jacob Wheeler on the BPT, Brandon Polinick on Bassmaster, who squeaked out of Oahu with a 66 place finish, still has, I believe, a 37 point lead over Brandon Lester who's having a career year after getting the first two wins of his career in Florida in the open and then the elite series on on Pickwick uh but Polinick is in the catbird seat for a second angler of the year and I'm not even sure how many this would would this be Wheeler's second BPT angler of the year as well over there I'm not sure but Bass Fan did a story on Wheeler a couple weeks ago on how like he hasn't finished outside of the top 20 in like 14 years or something crazy like like He's just insane, and because I don't follow BPT super closely, I'm not aware of it. But clearly, he's, if not the best fisherman around right now, he's in the discussion. And if you leave him out of the discussion, it's to your detriment. When you say right now, like, do you talk about years? Do you give it a three tournament, a five tournament? Where do you, because like right now I've got, I'm I'm filming, I'm shooting with Dakota Ebert tomorrow. It's going to run next week while I'm, while I'm out of town. But like that dude has like between the, the BPT and the pro circuit, like five consecutive top six finishes, including like three seconds and a seven ten smallmouth on Cayuga. Like, where do you consider the realm? Like he's fishing good right now. I'm thinking in that three to five year range, like okay. w- winning titles, winning tournaments and consistently being near the top and, and on a variety of different types of water. Okay. Yeah. So are, are there not, are we watching two guys at the absolute pinnacle of their game right now? Are we watching the, the, the skeets and Edwins and KVDs 20 years? And I mean, this is where they were. These are the guys now. Would you say that? I mean, look at their know, finishes. Look at the angler of the years. Look at who's it, who, who's making the final cuts now. I mean, if there was one tour, we would say that. But because there's two tour tours, it becomes sort of apples to oranges in in a way. Like to have that Skeet Van Dam rivalry you had around 2010, mm-hmm. it was like Magic and Bird. It was watching two guys at the top of their game. Now, Dr. J was still around when Magic and Bird were there, but Jordan was there. But you knew those two were going to fight it out in the championship every year or close to every year. Like that was yeah. exciting. And to not get to see Palinick and Wheeler go against each other or see Patrick Walters go against Dustin Connell, two guys who you know are superstars in the making, if not already there, it, it, it's sad to me because I'd like to see the best of the best. And the competition is insane on both tours right now. It's hard to be, you see the guys who are falling away. You see the guys who are not consistently competitive over a two or three year span. Um, but every year that group becomes smaller and smaller and the group that is competitive becomes bigger. Yeah. I mean, around that kind of thirties 
age group, like on the BPT, I wrote down Michael Neal, Lucas, Jordan Lee, Jacob Wheeler, and Dustin Connell. Yeah, that's an insane group. And that, but then you go over to the Elite Series, and I've got like Polinick, Fighter, and Walters. And what about like a Drew Cook? What about a Lester who's a little bit older, but you know, clearly coming into his own as a winner right now? Mm -hmm. I mean, Chris Johnston is up there. David Mullins. You know, there's like David Mullins is quiet and doesn't have a signature win, but clearly someone at Bash thinks that he's going to have a signature win and have a long run near top of Angler of the Year. I guess John so, Cox. Yeah. Here's my question then. Is it is it not good then to have two different platforms where you can have two King of the Hills and, and generate the discussions that we're having now instead of having just one where you have a bunch of these guys fighting what's in your opinion can you not have these two this is kind of what this article is about can you not have these two things and look at these two platforms that now you can have more guys showcased on more live more events completely different formats and have these discussions instead of like a uh, elite series deal where you've got like back in the day you had like kvd and everybody else now you've got room for two kings of the hills pete two platforms is good for the anglers, arguably, because they have a choice of what format suits them best. Two platforms is good for the podcasters like yourself who need something to talk about for a couple hours every day. Two platforms is bad for the history books, because how do you compare the title that Spencer Sheffield won to the Red Crest to the Classic? Like, I would have liked to have seen Kevin Van Dam win a fifth Classic to distinguish himself from Rick Clun in that way. I would like Van Dam to get to... 12 angler of the years, if that was meant to be to distinguish himself. But now like the record books are, you're comparing two different categories of things. And that's frustrating to me. All right. Let me, let me play this besides Pete Robbins and Ken Duke and Matt Pangrak. Does anyone care? Does anyone else, do you think the anglers care? Do you think they care that they're not being compared apples to apples now or apples to oranges, or is it just this, snobby media guys who are so far in this thing that no one really cares the fact that KVD isn't going to get number five or how many angler of the years he has. Where, why is no, it? There, there, there are no, there are no magic numbers like 500 home runs in baseball or 300 wins in baseball or Tom Brady's passing record. The like, angler of the years were, I think, I think Clun's angler of the years and KVD chasing years, it. Yeah. Um, or Roland's angler of the years. I mean, and, and KVD chasing the nine. I thought that was the, that was the holy grail of numbers, don't you? The seven versus the nine and how I, I think take I him. think that was the big one. To, if he had distinguished himself with nine or ten angler of the years and a fifth classic, then no argument can ever be made that he's not the best angler who ever competed. Yeah. Now now Jacob Wheeler suddenly wins three red crests and Kevin doesn't win any while competing against him. I don't know what that means. It, it's it's sort of a gray area. <laughs> this show's been all about gray areas, apparently. Um <laughs> And I don't like it. I like certainty. I mean, that's why I'm not out there casting for a living, besides the fact that I'm not capable of competing at their yeah. level. It's because I like certainty in my life, and and this gives us a little bit less certainty. I don't know. I, I it's it's interesting to follow to to follow the two things, and and it does definitely generate some discussion. Yeah, and there are people who love one tour, love the other tour, and there are people who it's turned off completely. I don't know any people who follow both tours religiously, though. I kind of do. You know, <laughs> well, it's your job. Person. It's it your is job. My job. I, it, 
like I will say this, like, why does everybody, if you hear that there's a perfect game going into the seventh, turn it on? Or why is that celebrated? It's because you can look back through history and say, well, there's only been like 22 of those out of a billion baseball games played. Well, so it, statistics puts accomplishments into perspective. And I think that's where yeah. my sticking point is and maybe yours is when the water is muddied around the historical significance of statistics, you don't know is this awesome? Is this okay? Right. Is this great? Or is this average? Yeah, it's like, it's not quite a participation trophy, but you don't know what the trophy means. And and going back to your baseball point, I have a really cool little factoid. I've been to two no-hitters in my life. No way. Two. My brother's been to three. But I went to Dwight Gooden's no-hitter and Jim Abbott, the one-armed pitcher. Dude, that's, you, you statistically... Improbable. I've been to like 100 baseball games. Yeah. But like, and maybe that's bringing it back to why people are so invested. People who are never going to fish the opens get invested in this stuff on social media because people want to feel that they're close to history. I'm never going to be a Dwight Gooden. I'm never going to be able to go out there and pitch like that. I'm never going to be able to fish like Jacob Wheeler or Brandon Palahniuk. But I want to feel like I'm a part of the game. That's what I've gotten through writing is I can I can contribute in my own way. And maybe that's what the sort of the keyboard cowboys want. They want to feel like they have skin in this game that matters so much to them and have so much passion about. Yeah. And like I said, you, you, you have the ability for feedback as long as it's a reasonable and impassioned and well thought out response. I think it's healthy to have people who disagree with it. Everyone starts agreeing on the exact same thing and thinking in the same train of thoughts if you can just look back over the course of history and see where that leads to never works out well uh, I, yeah never works out well dude never we covered works. a uh <clears throat> we covered a variety of topics today and uh like i said i kind of i kind of invited you on every quarter without actually like asking you hey are you willing to come on btl every quarter but i think i think when it comes to the media you are like the most underutilized podcast guy you you've got a endless amount of of stories and experience and look at things from a unique perspective uh and i i really enjoy hearing it well i appreciate that matt i appreciate being eclectic eccentric even if i've never put a bobcat in my life well and i will be on as often as you that's want that's a positive but, thing that's a compliment. <laughs> just, a compliment just let me know when you want btl is important to the sport and you do a great job and i'm happy to contribute i will i appreciate it hey i got you out of here in time for your uh for your important call uh, tomorrow we're going to continue with the with the media uh, trend. We got Jody White, you know Jody White, Jody Blanco, yeah, Jody Blanco. Which it took me forever to realize that that's like a different language for White, and then it made sense. Anyway, I've been running into him at the opens. He's been catching him. He's been doing a bunch of stuff for freelancing over at Major League Fishing. We're going to get him on talk about what he's been up to to close out the week of regular shows. And Frank Scalish back on a Thursday elite series back in action, seeing if Brandon Polinick can close out angler of the year, classic spots on the line, cut spots on the line, a lot going on in Wisconsin. Pete Robbins, thank you for the time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, Matt. Talk to you soon. All right. This has been another edition of BTL. We'll talk to everyone tomorrow.